are in fact doing a ridiculous thing. Yeah. Okay. Three, two. Hey, Christina. Hey, how's it going? I have a question for you. What do you know about Phineas Gage? Phineas Gage, as far as I remember, was a 19th century railroad worker who had an accident and there was an explosion and a metal rod went through his brain. And after that, um, he went from being a hardworking, industrious, polite young man to, I don't know, kind of a jerk. And, and, and they decided that it was because of the damage to his brain that his personality had changed. And this was the birth of neuroscience. That's the story I've heard. Would it surprise you to learn there are primary manuscripts written by people who were there? I, I think that wouldn't surprise me, but I'd love to hear more. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I just read all about them. How fortuitous. Hey, Christina, should we do a podcast about this? <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to They Did What to What, a new show about uh, science stuff. Uh, I'm Martin, and that other voice you heard is Christina. Uh, we are both academics. Lifelong. Yes, we, we've both been in school or involved with uh, academia for far too much of our lives. We've got between us, you know, a, a pile of degrees. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and so we know some things, uh, but there's also a lot of things we don't know. So, uh, I did an undergraduate degree at the university of Minnesota and like 97% of people who got undergraduate degrees at the university of Minnesota, mine was a BA in psychology. Uh, <laughs> and yet, uh, as part of that degree, we really didn't read many of the kind of classic studies. We heard about them, but didn't actually read them. Even the ones that were really kind of formative of what we think about psychology and society and how brains work and how people work. Uh, things like the Stanford Prison Experiment. I'm sure everyone knows about that. You know. But do they? Exactly. <laughs> That's what we're going to be doing is you know going through and reading those studies that everyone thinks they know about. Um, or references all the time as though they know about. And when I say we, what I mean is Christina is going to be going through <laughs> and reading these uh, horrible old studies uh, and, and, uh, and actually figuring out what they said so we can see if the lore about them holds up. Here's something? a quick okay. question. Should we be naming this podcast, well, actually, the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm sure that's already taken. Oh, hundreds of times. For <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically what we're doing here is a, um, a journal club, but for really, really old articles, right? Old so, and bizarre. Old and bizarre. But also, like I said, I think these are, these are going, going to be mostly the sorts of studies that everyone knows about, but hasn't actually read things that really, um, that, that are part of I don't know, public knowledge, not just things that nerds like us know about. <laughs> yeah, I will say as um, someone who studied neuroscience for over a decade, a lot of these studies I've also heard about or read about in the textbook, but never actually went back to read the original study to see what the study design was, to see what the actual conclusions that the initial authors um, took away from their work. So this is something that it has always super interested me. I've always really loved reading very, very old manuscripts and old studies. Um, so I'm very yeah. excited. 
Yeah, that's a great point too. Because yeah, so so today we're talking about Phineas Gage, and Phineas Gage is a study that I think I read about maybe four or five times in the course mm-hmm. of my my BA. Um, in my introduction to psychology class, in my uh, neuropsychology class, in my abnormal psychology class. Oh, and then, abnormal for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then also in a class that was just called like classic studies in psychology. And oh, wow. It, but in none of those instances did we actually read the paper. And so, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about this too. Because like, and I mean, part of it too is I remember very little <laughs> In terms of details. And the rest is is real conjecture. Like, I <laughs> I think the premise was that this was, like, the beginning of neuroscience. You know, the like, be- Yeah. Um, a lot of people consider it to be the beginning of localization of sites in the brain, that different parts of your brain have different functions. Ah, right. Um, yeah, yeah. So that is both true and not true in terms of the study. <laughs> but the primary literature that I read doesn't really support... Um, a lot of the things that we were taught. Right. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. So between all of our advanced degrees, neither of us have ever read this study and we really don't know what it says. So Mm -hmm. why don't we, I don't know, dig into the paper. Oh, let's do it. Um, So uh, just to begin, I wanted to say uh, Phineas Gage was born in 1823 so you're right, he was a old-timey guy <laughs> pictured here in black and white. Um, and he worked in railroad construction. He was like the foreman um, at 25 years old of his construction crew. And he was working in Vermont at the time of this very, very famous accident. So he led a crew preparing the Rutland and Burlington Railroad. And what they were doing was they were blasting rocks in order to make a roadbed to build this railroad to go through. And, and so, um, so in in that photo already, I, I see that he's got one eye closed. Is this a photo taken after the injury? Oh, spoiler alert. Yeah, this is definitely a photo taken after the injury. I couldn't find any photos of him before the injury because he was obviously super unknown. He was a railroad worker. There was nothing unique or special or like internationally intriguing about him (laughs) so every photo and um all the information we have about him is from after uh the accident okay interesting um so as best as i can understand railroad construction (laughs) is he was um he was basically the explosives man on the uh team So what he would do is he would build a pile of explosives. He would set up a pile of explosives and he would tamp it down with a tamping rod. And then he would put a bunch of sand or heavy material above the explosives. And then they would use blasting powder and a fuse to explode that. And then the um, force of the explosion would go into the rock instead of every direction and up. Um, And Mm. as far as I can tell and from the sources... He had put the explosives down, um, and then somebody on his crew distracted him, and he turned his head, and he dropped his tamping rod, a really sharp, long metal rod that was pointed on one end and rounded on the other end for tamping, um, and he dropped it directly onto the explosives, and there was a spark, and the explosives exploded as they do and his head was turned in such a way that the rod went all the way through his head um, and exited out the top of his skull so it 
literally like flew through his skull. It landed on the ground nearby. Um, and he had obviously a very large wound in his head um, following this. So it was fully a workplace accident. He was just distracted by people on his crew. He didn't have the um, layer of protection over the explosives so that it would explode into the rock. There was a spark. His tamping rod flew through his brain. Brains everywhere, blood everywhere, all the time. Um, And he uh, started having seizures. Like He was able to walk a little bit, and he started having seizures next to the area where this accident happened. Okay, so it was the tamping rod that w- that was what went through his head. Mm-hmm. And okay. the tamping rod is on display at the Harvard Warren Anatomical Museum right now, so you can go and view this famous tamping rod. Um, <laughs> That's, that, is, that is grisly and probably the highest honor any tamping rod has ever received. <laughs> it is probably the world's most famous tamping <laughs> rod, for sure. Um, he initially donated it to the museum, and then he wrote a letter later in life being like, hey, can I, can I get that back? Can I get my tamping rod? Yeah. Um, and he kept the tamping rod with him until he died, and then it went back to the museum. But there's a picture um, that we'll post that has the full tamping rod on display. Um, and it's quite long. It's a few feet long, um, three feet, seven inches. And like I said, it's tapered on one end. So it was basically the perfect go through the skull and go through <laughs> the brain. <laughs> it wasn't blunt, so it didn't like uh, hit and go off. It had oh, sure. the, uh yeah, it was fully angled or like to enter and yeah. then uh, smooth the whole way. So nothing got caught on anything. It just went straight through the whole brain. Wow. So uh, lucky, I guess. Yes. It's kind of bizarre that um, of all of the instruments that could have like exploded, uh, it wasn't a hammer. It wasn't an axe. It wasn't anything that just, it was just a very smooth, very long rod that I guess if you're going to have anything explode through your brain, like you would pick <laughs> this is the a one. tamping rod. Yeah. Okay. And that's a um, something that uh, the physician who worked on him, Harlow, who we'll get into, Harlow is the physician who wrote the articles that I uh. read because he directly worked with Phineas Gage after the accident. Um, he basically said that like this is such a unique case because in part, anybody else who is hit by anything else would just die. Like there'd be so much blunt force trauma. There'd be so much destruction. There'd be so much ripping and pulling of the parenchyma that you wouldn't survive it. But because this was so smooth and so narrow and long, um, he was able to survive. Um, So uh, there are only four articles that were written about him um, and only two that were written while he was still alive directly after the accident. And then there were two that were written um, post-mortem, one by the physician who examined him and one by another person who talked to Phineas Phineas Gage's family after he died. So there are two primary, primary articles and then another one again by... um, Harlow in 1868 after mm-hmm. Phineas Gage died, uh, talking about basically the postmortem analysis that they were able to do on the brain at the time. 
Um, so the first article that was written is the 1848 article. And um, when I read it, I was so surprised because it's just basically an hour by hour recounting of Phineas vomiting all over <laughs> all the time. Um, uh, what Harlow did was he had kept a diary or kept records um, as he was attending to Phineas Gage over the course of weeks. And he recorded like if Phineas was eating, if he was moving his bowels. There's so much information about Phineas Gage's bowels in this article. <laughs> uh, if you have any questions about Phineas Gage's bowels, I cannot recommend enough <laughs> this first article that was written by John Harlow in 1848. Um, but what was happening was there was a lot of blood that was being released from the wound. Uh, Harlow described the bed that Phineas Gage made it to being fully soaked in blood um, because the wound was open, the brain was open, you could see the brain pulsating, basically. Um, so it was a large open area that blood was just pouring and pouring and pouring out of. Phineas Gage ended up swallowing a lot of blood um, oh. So he would end up vomiting up just blood from, uh, like, drainage from this head wound oh over and over again. So a lot of the treatment that John Harlow describes is just, like, getting the vomiting under control. And Phineas Gage had compacted bowels a lot, so they gave him medication to move his bowels, including rhubarb. Um, so if you ever have a traumatic head wound, please... <laughs> <laughs> drink rhubarb cocktails, eat rhubarb. Uh, Phineas, it worked for Phineas Gage. It could work for you. Too. <laughs> oh my God. So, so I, I'm sure we're going to get into this, but this article, it, it was just a, a recap of the treatment though? Yeah. So the first article that was published, um, John Harlow finishes it by saying, I left out a ton of details because I didn't want to bore you, and I'm sorry if I bored you. And like, please forgive me for being so boring. And it's like, dude, please give us all the information. We would love to have all of the information. You are not boring. This is the only case that has been like this or will ever be like <laughs> right, this. Like, right. <laughs> right. I, like, how how long is it? How long is the article? It's eight pages, but articles that were written in the 1800s are obviously much, much different and much less dense than right. articles written today. Right. So I would say it had about the equivalent amount of information of like a one page abstract today, basically. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Because when you say eight pages, that, that seems like maybe not a whole lot for like the first big pivotal study in, again, I don't know, neurobiology. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> And just for context, this is definitely before people understood that much about the brain. The brain was still a big mystery that we all had floating around in our heads. So I don't think, especially John Harlow, he was a physician, he was a medical doctor, but I don't think he had any idea as to the significance of this. Um, he mm. didn't uh, record anything special about the brain at one point during the like daily updates he talked about like pieces of brain sloughing out um he talked about the wound healing and Phineas Gage was awake and um talkative he could remember things uh he was functional up until the point where the wound became very infected and then when it became infected he slipped into a coma so I think that that would be 
um, the most tie-in to brain function that Harlow mm. really touched on in that first, um, the first article, because he wasn't talking about like the location of the brain that was injured. He didn't right. really draw or describe that very much. Um, he mostly focused on the bowels. There's so, so much information about bowels in this article. That and is, just to be clear, the article is passage of an iron rod through the head. Um, so it's not even through the brain, it's through the head. Uh, that is so wild. Um, so at the end of this article, even in 1848, in the very first actual published article about Phineas Gage, um, I'm just going to read a little quote from the article John Harlow said, allow me to say here that I have seen a communication in The Reflector and Watchman stating that, quote, there is a piece of bone loose in the top of his head as large as a dollar, which will have to be removed should he live, end quote. The fractured portions of bone, excepting those which were removed at the first dressing, have united firmly, and the above remark was made unadvisedly. So even 1848, even the very first time that this was actually like published in a medical journal, he was already fighting misinformation about the severity of the wound, about what was happening oh, yeah. with the wound, about um, rumors that were flying around about this accident. Uh, wow, yeah. yeah. So science, science journalism was no better in 1848 <laughs> than it is today, I guess. We have not improved. We have not... <laughs> All it's just the same. It's the it's, same, yeah. It's exactly the same. Sensationalism in science journalism dates back <laughs> hundreds of years. Uh, so, getting to uh, how people say his behavior. Um, the thing that everyone is told about Phineas Gage is that before the accident, he was like the super sweet, super nice guy. Yep. Um, and then after the accident, he turned into a vicious monster. He was violent. He was impulsive. He swore right. a lot, blah, blah, blah. Um, of all of the articles, there is one paragraph in the 1868 um, manuscript by John Harlow where there's one paragraph describing his personality. Um, so after the accident, Phineas Gage recovered in his home for a while, um, and he was not allowed to work again at the job that he had been working at. He wasn't allowed to return oh, okay. as a foreman for the railroad. Um, we don't have any information directly from the railroad as to why they wouldn't hire him back. But he was able to work a few different jobs, and then he started working as a stagecoach operator. Um, okay. And he ended up working with a man who wanted to start a stagecoach operation in Chile, the country of Chile. <laughs> so for a few years, Phineas Gage lived in uh, Vermont, and then he moved with this man to Chile to fully open a stagecoach business. Um, what? Yes, and he lived That's... in Chile for eight years. So we don't know anything about his time in Chile. We don't have any records of his time in Chile. Um, there's a modern researcher named Macmillan who basically put out this mass request. He wrote a book about Phineas Gage, and he requested, like, hey, if anyone has any information from Chile, yeah, please let me know. We want information of what happened in Chile. So he was like gone. He was not in America. He was not terrorizing America. Um, he was not here and we have no information about him. Um, That's but, wild. Yeah. 
before he left, um, his friends did say that um, they described him, and I don't know, this is a pretty long paragraph to read the whole thing, but the thing that people, um, when they talk about Phineas Gage, this is the quote that comes up the most, is, quote, in this regard, his mind was radically changed so decidedly that his friends and acquaintances said that he was no longer Gage. Quote. Yes, yes. I, I totally remember that from, again, every introductory course in the first week where we re, you know, read about this article. That was that quote. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's described as still being physically strong. He still did manual labor for the stagecoach operation. He would like get up and get the horses ready and he would get the stagecoach ready and he would drive the stagecoach for 13 hours a day. So he's described wow. as still being physically very capable after the wound on his head closed. Um, he did lose vision in his left eye. So the picture that's uh, the famous picture of him holding the tamping rod, you can see his left eye is closed. Um, right. the, f- the photograph flipped uh like left became right and right became left. So it looks uh. like it's his right eye, but it's his left eye. Um, so he no longer had vision in that eye, but he was still physically very strong um, and still able to operate horse vehicles, basically. <laughs> but of everything that was written from primary sources, all of the pages and pages and pages and pages, there's one paragraph that describes him as still being physically very capable, but a little bit more impulsive, a child in his intellectual capacity and manifestations, and he had the animal passions of a strong man. Um, So this is the piece that had, yes, this is the piece that fully has exploded everywhere as the reason people say, if you lose this part of the brain or if you damage this part of the brain, you'll become an impulsive. um, Right. So just out of curiosity, what are the things that you have heard of him doing after the accident. Yeah, like I said, I I I think I I think there were discussion of like chemical dependency, so you know, uh alcohol in particular. Um I I, I want to say like he also I don't know, became like a a, a womanizer or something like you know, like he was I I I I'm, I'm trying to remember. Like this is the thing. I don't know that it was ever actually like in any of these books. It was just maybe even how the instructor described it. It's becoming clearer and clearer to me that like most of this story is just, you know, this legend um, <laughs> that, that gets that gets passed along from from uh, instructor to undergrad to <laughs> graduate student to new generation of undergrad. Um because yeah, I, I like I don't remember any details. I just know that like I have this impression that he just became this this like notorious guy around town who was just like always out there causing problems, old Phineas. Yeah, um, and part of that might be after the accident, but before he moved to Chile. At one point he appeared in New York at the Barnum and Barnum Ooh, did I write the name of it down? It was the Barnum and Barnum Circus or something like that. Like he very briefly had one appearance that we maybe know of. It's not even confirmed um, that this actually okay. happened. <laughs> um, that he appeared with his tamping iron at this circus-like setting as sort of like a sideshow 
um, act. Sure. I didn't see any reference to that in the primary articles that I read. Um, I read a whole bunch of different one-off articles here and there about right. like the mystery of Phineas Gage, where they just reported <laughs> this as if this was a thing that we know, like we have proof of this, that we know that this happened. And I genuinely yeah. couldn't find anything saying like, yes, he was a sideshow um, like he appeared in sideshows with his tamping iron as like, look at the man who survived a rod through the brain. This is just all seeming more and more like none of the things that I've been told over and over again about this, about this were, mm -hmm. were verifiable. <laughs> um, in the 1868 article that Harlow wrote, um, he did say that Phineas Gage's mom told him that Phineas Gage would tell fantastical stories to his nieces and nephews, um, and that he would make up these stories. The stories were not real at all. They were just f fantasies, basically. Um, but there isn't any context in the article to say if the mom knew that Phineas Gage knew they were made up, or if Phineas Gage fully thought that these were real stories. Like, people tell stories to their nieces and nephews right. all the time. <laughs> Yeah, this, this is what I do mm -hmm. with my niece and nephew, is I just lie to them. <laughs> it's awesome. It's the best. And everyone has a great time. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that he, you know, this was part of the brain injury, or it's possible that he was just the best <laughs> uncle ever. Phineas Gage, best <laughs> uncle ever, question mark? <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> is, is that the title of the episode? <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so... He uh, told fantastical stories and he changed jobs a lot before he started working for the stagecoach operation um, and moved to Chile. And those are the reasons, along with, quote, his mind was so radically changed, his friends and acquaintances said he was no longer gauged. In addition to that, though, like the article doesn't say how many people they talked to. They don't say how right. long they knew him before the accident or after the accident. Oh, yeah. They don't say, uh, like, any specific event. Um, I also, in these other articles that I was reading, like, uh, not scientific articles, but just pop articles talking about Phineas Gage, there are references to him being a pedophile. There are references to him being, like, Whoa. a violent sexual predator. All yeah. unreferenced, all with no source material, all with no... I had no idea where they were getting this information from. Wow. Um, yeah, it was bonkers. And I was like, I feel like if he was... I, mm, mm, like, can we go around just saying things about somebody a hundred years ago without proof of it? And I know right. that that's a very bizarre thing because uh, there isn't the type of documentation of things from 1850 that we have now. Of course. So it could it could be that he was this terrible man. It could be that his personality was changed. It could be that he was a monster, but we don't have right. documents of it. Or it could be that it was played up for his circus presentation. It was played up right. to make the case seem more severe, more intriguing, more publishable. Like, we just right. don't have the information to say, yes, that's what happened. No, that's not what happened. Okay, yeah. And so it's wild to me that that the story is so consistent. Mm -hmm. Um 
even though there's no evidence to back it up. I mean, again, this is this is not surprising to a person who has like lived in the world <laughs> that one, you know, the journalism is going to sensationalize, and two, that the lie becomes, you know, or not, not it's not maybe not even a lie, but just the unverified story uh, circulates so readily. Obviously, this happens all the time. Uh, but I guess what's surprising a little bit is that it's being circulated specifically within psychology and neuroscience classrooms all over the country to 50 students a semester, every semester since 1848. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's a really persistent myth. Oh, it wasn't even after 1848. Like this became sort of a myth for a while um, and it wasn't believed because oh. the Harlow, um, Harlow, he was a simple country doctor. He wasn't like a. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now I'm imagining him doing all of this, like cleaning up vomit and stuff in like a, you know, in a linen suit. <laughs> um, we're all wearing a straw hat. Oh, for sure. Definitely you know? a straw hat. Yeah. Yeah, a boater, a boater. Yeah. Yes. His 1868 <laughs> article, so the article after Gage died, opened with him saying, like, hey, I know you guys don't believe me. I know you guys think I'm a simple country doctor. I can guarantee you that this happened. We have the skull. <laughs> we have the tamping iron. Uh, yeah, it's very silly. So it sort of became like this, uh, uh, what's it called? Urban myth for right. a while of like, uh they said that that happened. Oh, one doctor said that it was a Yankee fantasy, basically that the Yankees made up this silly story to make themselves sound cool. But eh, the Yankees, they just lie all the time. <laughs> That's so weird. Um, but also, I don't know. But but also, as soon as you say that, immediately I'm like, but also maybe? Because <laughs> cause maybe? I, I'm I'm immediately convinced of that actually, <laughs> given like how shoddy the information I've had about this so far. Not convinced, but I, I immediately find that compelling. That yeah, I bet Phineas Gage was killed and all of this is just made up. That totally sounds plausible to me. It might sound plausible, but the <laughs> Harvard uh, Medical Museum has um they actually have a very beautiful and well curated page of all of the artifacts, quote-unquote, they have on file pertaining to Phineas Gage, including the initial receipt of the tamping iron, the letter that he or his cousin wrote requesting his tamping iron back. <laughs> <laughs> they have um, the plaster skull that was taken, or the plaster cast of his head that was taken while he was still alive. Um, and then they have his skull... Uh, post-mortem. He was actually buried at first, and then a year later, they were like, oh, shit, we should probably get that skull back, you guys. Uh, yeah, let's go get that. Oh. Um, so he was exhumed on permission from his family, and the skull was collected and is now still on display at the Harvard Museum. Wild. Um, so now that I've spoiled that Gage died, um, he died. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Phineas Gage died. Yeah, <laughs> that, I, I, it would have been a much bigger reveal if he were still alive. Yes, um, hundreds of yes. years later. Uh, yes. <laughs> Gage died 12 years after his injury, which is absolutely wild when you think about like 
yeah. infections. Like even if he didn't die directly <laughs> right. from the rod, the understanding of germ theory, the understanding of viral infection, of bacterial infection, of MRSA, of all these different things, fungal infections, like Oh yeah. And he wasn't probably a man who was germophobic. He wasn't probably a man who had access to clean water for all of his life. Mm. He lived for yeah. 12 years. Like, this man wanted to be alive, and he lived for 12 more right. years. Right. I, I always lose track of, like, how recently it is that we got, that we, like I had anything to do with it, <laughs> that, 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 uh, that people in the U.S. got good at uh, um, treating infections. Mm-hmm. Like, it, 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 it has improved dramatically in a pretty short period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's improved dramatically, and he certainly probably almost died um he was living in the equivalent of a boarding house and was being treated at this boarding house they probably definitely didn't sterilize the sheets they probably definitely didn't sterilize anything that was being applied to the wound um Mm. he had this huge sloughing event that i sort of referenced earlier before he went into the coma where um it looked sort of okay at first he could walk around And an infection just built up and built up and built up and built up. And at one point, let me tell you, when Harlow describes bowels, he describes (laughs) (laughs) describes bowels. Um, He was describing, like, the sloughing that was passing through Phineas Gage's system and, like, being passed through the bowels, but they were also being compacted. Um, But you could see, like, the infection buildup that was being passed through vomiting and passed... um, Oh my God. Other roots. Oh my God. That's, yeah. So, like, would not have been surprising if he had just died first from the explosion, uh, the thing going through his brain, but then, like, definitely infection should have gotten him. Oh, for sure. 100% he should have died from an infection, considering the time period, but he did not, yeah. and he lived for 12 more years. And he, when he and was. spent eight years in Chile. In Chile, yeah, just hanging out, <laughs> doing stagecoach stuff. <laughs> he returned from Chile because he started having seizures. So he, the mm. first seizure we know of was right after the accident. He had seizures. Um, and then he had a few as he was recovering. Um, and then he moved to Chile, uh, where we don't know anything. And he moved back from Chile to his family in San Francisco, California, because he was having more seizures and he wanted to be near his family. And he died not long after uh, moving mm. back to San Francisco. So he was with his family when he died. And his official cause of death is um, like epilepsy seizures. So, and maybe you're going to talk about it. Is that like a thing you would expect from the sort of injury he had? I, I am not a neuroscientist. Uh, you are. I am a so. neuroscientist. <laughs> Hello. Is, is this the sort of thing that you would expect from that injury? Is that, or is that a thing you can know? I mean, I guess we don't probably don't have a lot of examples of this injury. So yeah, I was only able to find reference to one other case, sort of similar like this, but not actually at all similar. But the (laughs) (laughs) the thing about Phineas Gage is nobody actually knows where in the brain the rod went. So everybody is making all these claims of, oh, it did this, oh, it did that. Nobody looked at the brain and described the brain in such a way that it was known what parts were completely taken out by the rod, what parts he coughed up. That's the, the, my favorite phrase ever with 
Phineas Gage is. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> After the accident, he was loaded onto the ox cart. He's loaded uh-huh. onto an ox cart. Ox cart, they yeah, of course. They ox carted him to where he lived. <laughs> and just thinking of like how bumpy those are, like picturing oh the skull like flapping up and down. Oh my god, as that's he's horrifying! Going. Absolutely oh my horrifying. God. Full horror show. So, so and, and so they're they're not taking him to a medical facility. No, they're taking him to his they're- house. They they took him home. They're like, oh, bro, <laughs> bro, your brain, bro. It's hanging out a little bit. Oh my god, we got to get you home. <laughs> <laughs> so they took him to his house. They set him on a bench outside of his house. The first doctor uh-huh. shows up and is like, oh my God. The first doctor, if I'm remembering correctly, puts his finger in Phineas Gage's wound uh-huh. in his uh-huh. brain. Uh-huh. Um, but right before that, Phineas Gage coughed or sneezed and, quote, half a teacup of brain <laughs> landed God. on the ground in front of this first doctor. Like, parenchyma just <laughs> shooting out from this open wound on this man's head. And oh, my God. Half a teacup uh, of brain landed on the ground. The really, so, so yeah. Obviously, I have to ask if that unit of measurement has been carried forward. In I have carried it forward in my heart. As a neuroscientist, <laughs> everything I measure is in half teacups. Not even full teacups. That's too much. Yeah. That's too aggressive. Ha- ha- <laughs> right. Half teacupfuls. Half teacup. Can I ask you, if next time you publish a paper where it would be <laughs> possible, can you measure brain mass in half teacupfuls? Just, just, just for just, fun. Just, yeah. Yeah. Sh- just show me the manuscript. And when it gets, you know, rejected, when the reviewer says, you have to change this, what are you, a monster? Can, I'll can you do try that it? for the 200 year anniversary of the accident. Like in oh, yeah. Yeah, 2048, yeah. publish a paper. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I am very much looking forward yes, to this. I also am. Uh, I will <laughs> will know something about the brain by 2048. <laughs> but Phineas Gage knew the doctor before his accident, and he recognized John Harlow um, when John Harlow came to treat him. So that's an interesting and important okay. piece of memory information that we have that... Uh, an already formed memory was still accessible to Phineas Gage after the accident. There are many claims about um, he had right. difficulty with short-term memory, and we know enough to know that short-term memory and long-term memory are different. We know that memory retrieval is different from memory formation. Um, so that's making no claim about Phineas Gage's mm. ability to form memories. But prior to the accident, he had information right. that he was able to retrieve following the accident. Okay, very cool. Um, so, uh, this story sort of went into obscurity after Phineas Gage died. It was sort of not believed. It was sort of like a sensation that died out, blah, blah, blah. But there were people, right, right. other neuroscientists that came a little bit later, one of them being this man that I took a picture of, Dr. Ferrier. And Dr. Ferrier was also a neuroscientist and he was very interested in brain localization and different parts of the brain having different effects. And what he was doing was he was doing um, lesion studies in monkeys. So the very classic neuroscience lesion study, what happens if we take away this part of the brain? What happens if we take away this part of the brain? Right. So Dr. Ferrier 
was reading through the literature as one should, and he found <laughs> the story of Phineas Gage, <laughs> and he said, oh, this fully fits directly in with what I'm doing. Uh, Dr. Ferrier was working in the 1870s, 1880s, and later, um, and he sort of like reinvigorated interest in the case because he was trying to make these lesion claims that if you take away this, this happens. If you take away this, this happens. Right. He was lesioning monkeys and he took away frontal lobes from the monkeys. And he, his claim was that the behavior of the monkeys was more violent, more impulsive, more rude, basically, following the lesion as compared to okay. All right. um, before the lesion. Right, right. Okay. So I'm guessing then that, that this might have prompted some later affirmation of those stories that Phineas Gage had become kind of a jerk. So after Dr. Ferry was interesting because he both said that people were using the story of Phineas Gage to forward their own pet theories about the brain at the same time as he was mm -hmm. using yeah. the story of Phineas Gage to forward his own pet theories about the brain. <laughs> Very classic. Yes. Classic. Classic Love it science. So much. Classic um, science. Love so it. there's been criticism, direct criticism of Dr. Ferrier since his publications that he was actually lesioning areas that he didn't know that he was lesioning. Um, and people have been trying through many different studies. I didn't go through these studies because we'd be here for nine hours. But there have been multiple attempts from <laughs> the skull of Phineas Gage to recreate the path of the tamping iron to try and more precisely determine what areas were um, taken out, basically, by the iron. So there's been right. uh, a few different... Um, attempts across a few decades with new technology to go through brain scans, 2D recreations, 3D recreations, um, all of these sorts of things to really hone down on if the injury was bilateral or if it was unilateral. If the injury was unilateral, then Phineas Gage obviously mm. still had a functional um, other hemisphere, his other half of his brain. Um, so there's oh, been debate right. on if how central the tamping rod was. If it went more centrally, that would mean that he would have injury to both sides of his brain. If it was unilateral, that would mean that he right. still had a functional side of his brain and an injured side of his brain. Um, so that's something oh, that wow, people yeah. have debated a lot. And the conclusion sort of seems to be that it was a unilateral injury and due to the brain's plasticity or the brain being able to change how it talks to itself over time, that that's the reason he right. was able to live right. for 12 more years and still able to be a functional job-holding member of society was his brain uh, was able right. to reroute itself, basically, um, and maintain functionality despite having a huge part of it taken out. Right, right, right. I mean, at least a half teacup full. I have two fun quotes, and by fun, I mean kind of morbid and horrifying. And then <laughs> okay. one cool modern pop culture reference that I thought was really interesting. Um, All right. And might not be a direct reference, but could very well be a direct reference. Um, the first was... 
in the initial 1848 manuscript that John Harlow wrote, he wrote, quote, I've been asked why I did not pass a probe through the entire extent of the wound at the time, because it was a full, clean wound. There was a full path through the brain, right? Um, so he has been asked by physicians, like all of these curious research physicians of, well, why didn't you probe it? Why didn't you probe it? What? <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I'm curious to hear what he has to say, but I have some answers. <laughs> He said, I think no surgeon of distinction would have upheld me in the trial of such a foolhardy experiment in the risk of disturbing lacerated vessels from which the hemorrhage was near being staunched and thereby rupturing the attenuated thread by which the sufferer still held to life. And I think that Damn. all of us have attenuated threads <laughs> by, <laughs> by which we hold to life currently. Yes, and please don't probe them, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't deal with any lacerated vessels in my attenuated yes, can you threads. Imagine? Um, so that was one thing that John Harlow said was, like, he's not an experiment, he's a person. We can't treat him like an experiment just oh, because... Good. Yeah. So John Harlow might have actually been the best physician to work on Phineas Gage at the time or like treat Phineas right? Gage at the time because yeah. he wasn't trying to do science. He wasn't probing. He wasn't pushing. He wasn't like, if I tap here, can you feel it? If I tap right. here, can you feel it? Right. Oh, yeah. You know, because hearing about a lot of this, I was like, yeah, but shouldn't they have found out more stuff? Like, shouldn't they have done more thorough examination? Like, you know, part of the reason this has become such a legend and so full of misinformation is because there was very little recorded at the time. But when mm -hmm. you say that, suddenly I'm like, well, of course they didn't. They're trying to keep this guy alive. <laughs> like, yeah, let's, let's actually just do that and call it a win. So yeah. now I feel mm -hmm. bad. Now I feel I, I feel like I'm kind of a jerk for <laughs> having wanted more more data. But yeah, no, no. God, it's awesome. He lived for twelve more years. That's the best. Mm -hmm. He had a functional life for twelve more years, yeah. as long as his brain was able to hold out. Yeah. And John Harlow definitely tried to um, keep track of him like he wasn't right. writing him letters or every week or anything like that but just tried to like hey what's happening with the most unique special patient <laughs> right. that i will ever see in my life right yeah yeah oh now i like i like john harlow now <laughs> he's actually a really cool guy i looked into him a little bit and oh, he's yeah? super active politically he was like a state senator he Whoa. um worked in or he went on to become a state senator he worked in uh, education a lot. He was building. Oh, I'm going to say all this misinformation on our information podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I know for sure he was a state senator. I know right. he worked in education and okay. he was a medical doctor, but he was just very involved in his community and very involved in teaching and information. Oh, that's great. Um, and the second quote is from the 1868 article that John Harlow wrote. And he said about himself that this case was attended and reported by an obscure country physician. So he is calling himself <laughs> the obscure country physician. Okay. And was received by the metropolitan doctors with several grains of caution, insomuch that many utterly refused to believe that the man had risen until they had thrust their fingers into the hole of his head. 
<laughs> and even then, they required of the county doctor attested statements from clergymen and lawyers before they could or would believe. Uh, so apparently, John Harlow spent a lot of his life being like, no, like, bro, it, it really happened. Bro. I, I swear on the clergy that wow. this man had a rod through his head. So part of the reason that this was kind of discredited as as, as a hoax had to do with Harlow himself not being like seen as a as a reputable physician just cuz again he was a country doctor. He was a country doctor. God, and now I feel bad about <laughs> about saying I I was all for the conspiracy. Ah. I'm the, You can I'm, switch teams. Just switch teams. I, I will cuz I was about to be the villain in this story. Um <laughs> Uh, Harlow's the hero. Wow. Harlow's the hero for sure. He said that um, he attended Phineas Gage, but that God healed Phineas Gage. So he is a God fearing country doctor right. who attended to Phineas Gage's bowels. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it says on his, his headstone? I, I believe so, yes. He had no children. So. I am on the committee to design his headstone. God-fearing country doctor <laughs> who attended to Phineas Gage's bowels. Bam, uh, done. Hey, Martin. Hey, yeah, Christina. Have you seen Hannibal 2001? The movie? The movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> With Ray Liotta. Liotta? Yeah, uh, that's the um, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, sequel, kind of? It's the sequel where they replaced the actress who plays Clarice. So Julian Moore plays Clarice. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yep. And Hannibal says Clarice directly to her face a hundred thousand times <laughs> so that you remember. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Clarice. Right. Even though it's not Jodie Foster, this is totally... It's not Jodie Foster. It's Clarice, though. So... <laughs> a cool maybe reference to this case but probably not but it's still cool anyway um in the movie hannibal captures i think he's an fbi guy i think he's an fbi agent yeah. but it's ray Liotta, and he drugs ray Liotta. he dr excuse me hannibal drugs ray Liotta. hannibal drugs clarice and he sits them both at this kitchen table uh -huh. and clarice wakes up she's like what is going on here and Hannibal, he very dramatically takes off the top of the skull of oh, Ray Liotta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He takes a knife and uh -huh. he cuts off. Um, he first opens the dura or the surrounding layers around the brain, which I was like, whoa, neuroscientific accuracy here in <laughs> Hannibal 2001. That was probably the best thing about that movie. It was the, <laughs> the neurophysiological accuracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Hannibal takes a knife and he slices off part of Ray Liotta's brain. He fries up Ray Liotta's brain. Ray Liotta says, oh, that smells really good because he's on lots of drugs. He's very woozy. Uh -huh. um, so he doesn't know it's his brain. And then Hannibal feeds part of Ray Liotta's brain to Ray Liotta in front of Clarice. Yeah. So the first time I watched this, I was like, oh. Oh, it's so fake. That's Hollywood <laughs> fake. I hate that so much. That could never happen. And then as I was reading about Phineas Gage again, I was thinking about it and I was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> if Harlow had been less reputable doctor, he, he, 
this is if Harlow wasn't a state senator, we wouldn't believe him. Yep. And then yep. we wouldn't believe Hannibal 2001. But because <laughs> Harlow was such uh, a upstanding country doctor, <laughs> we therefore have the credibility to believe Hannibal 2001. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, not maybe not a, an illusion, but like a, a, a resonance. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of interesting just because um, the recreations of the fractures in Phineas Gage's skull sort of suggest that part of the skull flipped up due to the pressure of the tamping iron and then it flipped back down again. Ooh. So there wasn't that much that cracked away or right. broke away or anything. It kind of like flopped yeah. open, flopped closed. Yeah. So maybe, maybe the people who wrote Hannibal 2001 <laughs> read that updated article <laughs> about Phineas Gage and they were like, oh, you could flap the, the, the skull. The skull flops open. You, could fl- <laughs> you can flap the skull open and bam. Yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Did you find any other pop culture references to Phineas That Gage? was the only one I could think of. There should be so many more just for how many neuroscience students have to hear about Phineas Gage. Right. But- I, I, so the TV show, the, the cartoon, The Venture Brothers, had a, there was a villain called Phineas Phage. He was he well, he's a virus. Uh, so yeah, so it, but it, so it was like a really mixed thing because he was half he was half virus guy, and I I sort of remember he had a backstory about maybe having I can't remember I don't think it was a head injury but I I knew we were going to do <laughs> Phineas Gage today so I like I I briefly looked up yeah what was Phineas Phage's deal and I I, I, I don't know it turns out that people have done shoddier documentation of this fictional character than they did of Phineas Gage himself. So, so, so is, is that all uh, for, for the story of Phineas Gage? That's all for the story of Phineas Gage from primary sources. I gotta say, most of that is stuff that I never heard in, again, the four to five times we went over this in in, in the course of my psychology degree. Um, and most of the stuff that was left out was pretty cool. Like I had no idea that he ran off to Chile to run a stagecoach company <laughs> for eight years. For years. For years. That's yes. Super awesome. I want to know if he has children in Chile. Right. I want to know. Yeah. Like what is the missing Chile story that right. we don't know? Are is there like a local statue that's actually a statue <laughs> to Phineas Gage, but no one from any neuroscience department has made it to Chile <laughs> to find the statue? Like, and what like, don't we know? And like, do do we know any any more specific than just somewhere in Chile? Like that that's a pretty big area. I from anything I read, there was no specific um, place <laughs> mentioned. Probably somebody knows about it, but not me at this time that's all wild yeah and the main takeaway is just people are so uncomfortable with ambiguity that people say definitely (laughs) he was this evil monster definitely he was very violent definitely he was impulsive and not like oh we have two sentences from one paper from 1868 saying that his friends say he was different and that's it there's no context there's no information that's it so was he different? Probably. Like, was he different because of the brain injury? 
Probably. Could it also have been sleep disturbances? We know that sleep has a huge mm. impact on quality of life and uh, personality and mood and behavior. Could it have been pain? Was he in lifelong pain? We know that pain impacts personality and mood and quality of life and sleep. Could it have been all exaggerated for newspaper stories or for his circus appearance? Could it have been exaggerated for museum purposes? Like, it's probably somewhere in the middle of all of this, right? Like, he's probably different, but how different, we have no idea. But I think people just want an answer. They just want a definitive statement, and then they want to move on to the next thing. And I think we should all just be a little bit more accepting that the data just isn't there for us to know one way or the other. So, Martin, what'd you learn? <laughs> I learned that um, that uh, science journalism is has always been terrible. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I learned that John Harlow was like a hero. That guy's the best. He's actually the best. I love that guy. I want him to be my doctor. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I learned that 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 um, Phineas Gage was probably just a dude um, who was who told stories to his nephews. Yeah, that's the other thing I learned that <laughs> Phineas Gage is the best uncle ever. <laughs> wow, Christina. we learned a lot today. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> Uh, so what are we going to learn about next time? Next time, we're going to learn about the story of Little Albert, oh. also known as Noise Metal for Babies. <laughs> noise Metal for Babies. Yeah, sure. Yep. I, I remember parts of this. Uh, it had something to do with a rabbit, I think. Oh, there's rabbits. <laughs> God. There, there, There's rabbits for sure. Is, is this going to be worse than I remember? It is, in fact, worse than you remember. Oh, no. All right. Well, if you want to join hear- us for something worse than Martin remembers <laughs> <laughs> next time on the podcast. Oh, uh, bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>Intros and outros generally have to do a couple of times. Oh, okay. We'll do it again. One more just for for shits and giggles. Yeah, I mean, because if we do it for shits and giggles, then John Harlow will have something to say. (laughs)